Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, the heart of America's heartland, also the culinary uh, culinary and cultural crossroads of America. Hey, if you like what we do, we could sure use your help, folks. Uh, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Become a monthly donor if you can. Or if you run a small business or a nonprofit doing good work, only good work, then you can also become a sponsor. So yeah, uh, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Charles Goldman with me today, folks, for the entire program. You know, later in the show, we're going to be uh, digging into two U.S. Supreme Court cases coming up this week, in fact, that could, well, destroy democracy, some say, or maybe that's uh, an exaggeration. Maybe that's going too far. We'll also discuss guns and politics. Uh, you know, your Second Amendment has been on the ballot a lot over the past decade, and this year, one state, Iowa, will ask voters to sanctify gun rights in the state's constitution. Meanwhile, another state, Oregon, is going to ask voters to go in the other direction on gun rights. Uh, finally, Charles and I will look at a few climate change headlines, including the fascinating discovery that one life form in our solar system, specifically ancient Martian microbes, uh, apparently long ago rendered Mars unfit for habitation even for themselves. Sound familiar? So, uh, yeah, people, I guess we're not the only solar system denizens that are hell-bent on destroying our home. Anyway, uh, big question for this is all, what's the message in that historical occurrence for Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk? We must think of those rich billionaires first and foremost. Anyway, first, so we're going to talk about diet. <laughs> I, I don't think they were rich billionaires on Mars. Well, well probably well, they, 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 there may have been an ago. ancient microbe that was, that, was, that was hoarding all the power. Who knows? Maybe that's why they made the wrong call and changed their climate. Anyway, um, Charles, you are a vegan. Yes, although I do eat fish uh, on occasion. Vegetarian fish. But, well, you know, fish, fish, okay. fish. Fish, yeah. okay. Any fish, whether it dines on plankton or or, or other fish. Okay. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the basis of all life in the ocean is that it starts with dining on plankton since you just move up the food chain. Sure, yeah, yeah. And they don't usually serve killer whale. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, a, a filet of orca, that could be pretty good. Yeah. All right. You, you have to be able to kill one. Yeah, well, they're killer whales. <laughs> but we're bigger and meaner. We can kill them. For, I know. I, I do not. I do not. That is not an endorsement for killing orcas. No, not at all. Hey, I'm a locavore. I um, I eat what I can grow locally, what I can mm -hmm. find locally, what I can purchase from local farmers. I don't care whether it's vegetable, mineral. Well, no, not mineral, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, meat, dairy, you name it. I will eat it. Charles, we are miles apart. Um, we're probably not as far apart as uh, as uh, my favorite uh, one of my favorite clips from a movie. Uh, this gal in uh, in Notting Hill. Maybe you've heard this uh, this reference before. No, thank you. I'm a fruitarian. Huh. What is a fruitarian exactly? Well, we believe that fruits and vegetables have feelings, so we think cooking is cruel. We only eat things that have actually fallen from the tree or bush and that are, in fact, dead already. 
Ah. All right. Right. So, um, these carrots? Have been murdered, yes. Murdered? Gosh, poor old carrots. That's... That's beastly. That is a great movie. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, you're not a fruitarian. No, I'm not a fruitarian. No, my, my choice is, is more personal health than any any moral stance. Um, it, there's actually a lot of interest lately in the issue of whether um, in some ways thing, you know, the higher level plants may be sentient, you know, like trees and... Right, yeah. And, I, you I know, know. And there's something... Intriguing about that idea, but no. Um, mostly, it's just that for me, um, eating a lot of saturated fat is not good for me. So, but that, but that, I also but that, don't. I also, I also do feel that um, we use an astounding amount of resources and and create a, a definitely a negative negative climate change environment. It, you know in service to um, domesticated cattle, in, you know, cows in particular. But, but I would argue that our, uh, our homegrown eggs and our um, meat rabbits have a far lower carbon footprint than whatever tofu or vegetarian protein supplement you might want to eat. Well, but that's not what most people eat. I mean, the, the Amazon is being taken down to sure. a large degree Thanks. to allow for cattle grazing. Yeah, help, to help McDonald's get cheap beef. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, there's a lot of talk about the issue of the methane, you know, production by grazing, you know, cattle. Go out west and you look and see these huge confinements surrounded by, you know, the fields of grain needed to feed these cattle while they're waiting for slaughter in the middle of a desert right you know sure so or, uh, or we, in the high plains where there's minimal rainfall and well i mean you know people people don't understand it. it's not just the issue of of emissions the grain but the amount of water oh, sure. it takes to produce a pound of beef is yeah. astronomical. Or for that matter, a lot of almonds to make almond milk. I agree. No, I <laughs> agree. Almonds are one of the worst Absolutely. Crops. Absolutely. We, you go out. I mean, I, I lived in Central Valley, California for over a decade. And you're absolutely right. There are water-intense crops being grown there in a place which is semi-arid. So you, you and I agree that, that that kind of industrial agriculture is, is wrong for the planet, wrong for the earth, probably bad for our health as well. Um, but again... Why, why, why go to the level of choosing to be a vegan when the option of eating you know, meat and or dairy from local sources with, far, with a far more minimal impact is available? Well, but again, for my, for my own health in terms of saturated fat and other issues you know, with some familiar history of heart disease, um, veganism is, is clearly much safer. Um, and I'm not arguing against if you grew it right next to your house, you, you get to eat it, you know. Right. And it, it's pretty clear. I mean, the, uh, the original diet, I guess, that, that humanoids ate was a mix of what they could gather, mm-hmm. you know, nuts, berries, et cetera, and um, animals that they hunted. Yeah. Uh, but those animals were not fed corn to, right. Yeah. To well, marble their sure. to marble yeah, yeah, their yeah, muscles. Yeah, no, c- cows definitely are not designed to eat corn. 
Yeah. Well, I don't think they encountered a lot of cows. But you you eat fish because <laughs> probably not. Well, <laughs> buffalo was a lot leaner than, than a cow. Well, it is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot more was, dangerous to hunt. Well, but, well, maybe more fun, too. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, there's no A more enriching experience. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, kind of, it, it's kind of ironic. I mean, because... I, again, I'm not religious about this, and, and clearly we're omnivores. And yet we're not that structured to be, we're not particularly well structured to be good omnivores. Our gut is very short for, uh, for meat-eating. Um, and in fact, one of the things that may have allowed the advance of human civilization was you know, the introduction of cooking, being able to cook. Well, that and agriculture, sure. Well, but agriculture followed on. And, you know... It, if you're if you're eating raw meat, you need a pretty long gut, and we don't have a particularly long gut. Right, no, that. but we but we, we we have an omnivore's gut. We have as. well, but we have one of the more inefficient omnivore guts. Really, how is it inefficient? Well, because it's it, again, if if you eat cooked meats, yes, it's fine. Yeah, okay. But we can't eat really much raw. Okay, so we've you know, adapted. And, and it's yeah. by the sushi. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye to sushi. But you do eat seafood because yes. because it's not so bad for your health. That's correct. So why not eat rabbit? Rabbit is very lean, very lean meat. I never have thought about eating rabbit. Well, now you are, huh? Not real. No. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, I know. I, I, I totally respect your choice. Um, what bothers me about the, I, I, I don't like the evangelical vegan any more than I like the evangelical mm-hmm. religious nutcase, you know? I don't like somebody coming in and telling me that what my choices are wrong. And I'm sure you're the same well, way. Well, I agree with that. But what, but the but one of the problems I have is that we subsidize foods that have created this sort of unhealthy diet. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'd much rather they subsidize fruit and vegetables, which would be good for everybody, yeah. and do a lot less subsidization, you know, subsidizing of the basic grains yeah. and then leading to that, the cheap meat. And maybe you remember that when, uh, when uh, it, was, it began to be required that schools provide some fruit during their school lunches, Rush Limbaugh raged against the, quote, fruit and vegetable lobby, uh, as if that's some huge powerhouse in Washington, D.C. I mean, and what that's would the be, pushback you get, what would be What would be bad about a fruit and vegetable lobby? Nothing. Nothing. Right. But, uh, but, but, you know, he was appealing to the, uh, the meat-eating element of his audience, which was most of it. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I think, to me... And again, I don't judge. If you eat more meat than me, that's okay too. But I, I think meat the ought biggest, to be the a biggest, fairly minimal element of the one's diet. The biggest animals on earth are vegetarians. So macho-ness doesn't go with eating meat. Oh, yeah. Well, that wasn't the case at one time, says the T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but the T-Rex wasn't the biggest dinosaur at the same well, time. It was big and enough. No, it was big enough. But, but the, the, here again, the vegetarians, the brontosaurus and... You know, the others from whatever other periods none of us know because we only know the, <laughs> that one period. You know, all we know is from Jurassic Park. <laughs> all That's we know it, is right? Jurassic Park. You know, but but there's there's really no correlation with having to eat meat to attain you know great size. Um, you yeah, know, you heck of a lot of gra- uh, greens to. I, the one argument to come up with the same amount well, of protein. Well, but we eat more protein than we need. Probably, yeah. But I know one thing, you know, when raising rabbits, mm-hmm. we give them almost ex- an exclusive diet of grass and other weeds and plants in the garden. Right. But we do have to give them a protein supplement. Does not, mm-hmm. it's, it's, as, it's as natural as we can come up with. But 
that's pretty important. Well, what Otherwise, would they What would they eat out in the wild? That's though? a good question. I haven't figured that out yet. I mean, I, I used to have a Belgian dwarf and two cats, and the Belgian dwarf would eat the cat food, and the cat would sit and watch him do it. You know, so. <laughs> well, vegans and non-vegans getting along very well. Rabbits right. and cats. Right, because, yeah. you know, obviously cats are obligate carnivores. Yes. I mean, they can't, they really, yeah. spite of the, the, they'll chew on plants and everything else, but they are just to, Just to be able to throw up on your rug. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey folks, uh, Ed Fallon with Charles Goldman here. we got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be discussing two U.S. Supreme Court cases that, um, well, potentially may be problematic for the survival of U.S. democracy. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Vibes Kitchen and Bar in downtown Des Moines at the corner of 13th and Walnut serves clever, creative, modern interpretations of American classic bites and drinks. The Vibes team offers great food and customer service in a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere. Vibes is the perfect place for your party or function, and it's got an outdoor patio ideal for hobnobbing with friends and co-workers or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. When big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. Please support what we do. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website, donate to even better become a monthly sponsor. And speaking to sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, FamilyPsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, again, Charles Goldman with me today, folks. And um, this week, it may have already happened by the time you're listening to this program, but the U.S. Supreme Court is scheduled to hear a couple lawsuits. One of them is out of North Carolina, and it's based on what some call the independent legislature theory. It's a case. Well, it's actually the Supreme Legislature theory. Okay, or, well, or yeah, yeah. The well, idiotic state legislature. Okay, well, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt of the, of the description, but good right. point. And, and it, yes, but it's a case. It's a case that could take away the authority of state courts, state level courts. It would take away the authority of any other entity in the state, but you know, other except the for the state legislature. legislature right. 
to make determinations about federal elections. Right. And we're talking and about— And it would render moot pretty much any federal election law. Okay. Uh, Even though it says that the Congress can pass laws so, to override So the Voting Rights Act. It'll never happen. Voting Rights Act. It would become moot. It would just yeah. go out the window, which they're right. going to— Well, they've already argued that case. And they've already made some right. input. Merrill versus inroads. Milligan was already argued. Sure. But, you know, they could draw district lines uh, for redistricting that could not be challenged by a state or federal court? Correct. Okay, even even the federal— Well, this is what the case is really about. Right, right. But even the federal court couldn't challenge it. The U.S. Supreme Court, for example, or the or, or, uh, federal district court. That no court could challenge it. No the court. state would become— uh, The state legislature right. would be the supreme authority. Yeah. And they could also, of course, as we've seen already happen a lot— uh, the legislature could pass new restrictions on voting laws, uh, shortening hours of voting, eliminating polling places, uh, uh, requiring that you not give a bottle of water to somebody waiting in a well, line. Well, they've in already Georgia. done that. Yeah, so, I know, I mean, but but I mean, they could, this could, this could proliferate and get worse. Uh, and most importantly, I think most significantly, uh, this could impact the 2024 presidential election because right. state legislatures would have the ability to say, no, we don't like what the voters decided. We're going to do something else. That's the fear. Taken, taken to the extreme, it right. would certainly be possible. But isn't that an extreme that's almost unrealistic, though? Why, why, why should we really genuinely be concerned about that extreme? Because the, the state legislatures are not representative of the people. They don't represent the people proportionally in most states. They are gerrymandered. I mean, the problem is, is that we have a a situation where the Supreme Court is saying, or will, could potentially say, that state legislatures should be the ultimate authority, but state legislatures that are already gerrymandered in such a way that they could never be changed, right? right? I mean, you know, so for instance, the case in North Carolina revolves around district lines that are drawn um, in such a way that in spite of there being like greater than 50% registered Democrats in North Carolina, eight of the 13 uh, House representatives... Congressional districts. Congressional districts right. uh, go Republican Yeah, I, repetitively. You would think it would be 7-6 one way or the other. It, it should be somewhat closer than that. That's correct. And this is fairly typical in the states where... The Republican legislatures are ensconced. There are a couple. There are a couple. There was cases involving Maryland and New York. Sure, and de- Democrats, Democrats do this too. Right, but I mean, why wouldn't you at this point? Because what if you? Because two wrongs don't make a right. Well, but <laughs> in terms of the way things are right now in the United States, yeah. Anyway, let's 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 look at what what this is about. So okay. this is the this is the evil spawn of Bush v. Gore. Uh, Bush v. Gore. Because Back in 2000. That's correct. The, so if you remember, the, the claim against that was brought was that the state Supreme Court in Florida, in Florida said that the voting should continue, the vote counting should continue. Right. And the state legislature wanted it to stop, right. which was controlled by and Republicans. Gore wanted it to continue. Right. Bush wanted it and to stop. And then in the famous decision that was supposed to be a one-off, right. uh, in which they found that the reason the voting had to stop the vote counting had to stop, was that it would, you know, it would be uh, causing irreparable harm to George Bush. The other reason it had to stop was because Gore might win if it continued. Well, that's my point, but nevertheless. But anyway, so three of the judges in that um, decision wrote kind of an aside um, to that decision, and they were 
Clarence Thomas. Clarence uh, Thomas. Sam Alito. I don't think no, Alito wasn't on the court. Was it was Rehnquist. Rehnquist, Rehnquist, right, Rehnquist right, right. and then of course uh, Scalia. Ralph wrote, Scalia. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. wrote an aside that basically said that um, the this no matter what the state constitution says, um, that the legislature has the predominant role in this based on two you know articles about the setting of the time, place, and manner. I'll never understand resides in the state. I'll never understand why Gore and the Democratic National Committee didn't challenge that. That 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 always boggled my mind why they didn't challenge that ruling. There was no appeal. But now that's his. Well, how who were they going to appeal to? Well, okay, good point, I guess. But uh, appeal to the people. I, I mean, there was there was a there was a limited amount of uh, of angst expressed publicly after it at the time. Well, I don't think anybody but, understood. Well, there was a lot of angst, but I don't think anybody understood that the possible ramifications that would go forward. From and now, this. That, and we're seeing those now. Right. As and you call it, the spawn. It of, is the spawn uh, of these. That's correct. <laughs> okay. So, so this idea of the independent state legislature theory had been floating around in right wing, you know, circles for a while, and of course, you know, the, the Federalist Society, I'm sure, has got multiple treatises on this. But basically, the vast majority of professors of law, even some who are conservative, said this is just a crackpot idea, and that. There is nothing historically to indicate that the founders trusted state legislatures to the point that they would say they would have all this power. It also made no sense if you were setting up a republic based on a checks and balances at the federal level mm -hmm. that you would then make one branch of the state government It's taking the, the concept of federalism to a level that really is unworkable, given all the other advantages. Well, it would be unworkable. It would, leave, it would leave the state legislatures, basically. It would be a confederacy of state legislatures. Yeah. There would be. And, and, but what's ironic is that in the, in the year 2000, Arizona voters passed the ballot initiative. And by the way, ballot initiatives would probably also go by the boards if state legislatures were running the show. In swing states, or, or it, states are controlled by Republicans. Yeah, for the most yeah. part. So, Although I, I think ballot initiatives are a mixed bag myself. They are, but at least they are they are an expression of democracy. And I would argue that you know when well, we talk about the Second Amendment, constitutional amendment we're voting on in Iowa, um, I, I admire it for an expression of democracy. They're going to ask the people. Well, well, they're an expression of democracy or an expression of a special interest ability to buy enough signatures to get anything on the ballot. I mean, we've well, seen Walmart do Well, but they do buy that. all the people who vote. No, no, but they but they can get they can get the uh, get the initiative onto the ballot and then use their their deep pockets further to influence the outcome of the election. So, yeah, I I mixed feelings about ballot issues. That's another conversation. Okay. Well, but nevertheless, so in 2000, the Arizona voters decide that they would like to have an independent commission a la what we have here to set the districts up. Right. The state legislature, of course, immediately says, no, we're not going to have any of that. Yeah, yeah. So they take to the case to Supreme, ultimately it gets up to the Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court. In the U.S. Supreme right. Court. And it's only seven years ago with many of the same members, okay? Mm -hmm. Alito's there, right. Thomas is there, Roberts is there, right. Scalia was still alive, um, Kennedy, you know, and at that time there were four more liberal justices. Yeah. Okay, so... This case is brought up to the Supreme Court seven years ago, and they specifically state, 5-4, that um, there was nothing to suggest in the Constitution that the founders had any inclination to put state legislatures in charge of everything. Mm. 
and that the other part of this crackpot idea that the history of the United States shows that actually taking the state legislatures out of the mix is ahistorical because it only occurred in the 20th century is just now that lie. Because by the middle of the 19th century, 30 states had already put into their constitutions the role the state legislature would play mm -hmm. in both state and federal elections. Right. So this is, this is nothing more then, wow, we've got 30 legislatures in the, in the bag around the country right now. Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, people like John Eastman running around. That, you know, this is the independent electors. This is, the, this is what Eastman suggested to Trump. Right. So if you, if you like that, wait till you see this, if, if they decide, if, if the, you know, six conservatives decide that in spite of the fact that the jurisprudence of the United States and their own jurisprudence seven years ago said this is nonsense, yeah. um, you could end up with a situation where they could vote to put the state legislatures in charge in, so, you know, to the degree that you really don't have a democracy anymore. To, to describe it in detail or in, in very specifically, concisely, if Trump and Biden are the two candidates running for president again in 20, 2024 and Biden again wins uh, in, in enough swing states that are controlled by Republican legislatures, those swing states could, under this change, uh, easily hand that election to Trump, even though the voters in that state might have decided Or otherwise. they could just simply say that we cannot accept there's too many irregularities, which of course will only occur in, in districts of black people and Democrats, um, <laughs> right. oftentimes one and the same, right. um, that um, we, we, there's too many irregularities, we're just going to pick some electors, well, we're not going to pick any electors to send to the Electoral College and it throws the decision to the House where it's each state gets a vote. Mm. And right, so, in yeah. essence, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the president now becomes chosen by the House of Representatives. Because there are at least 30 that are always Which be was, in by fact, that right. was, in yeah. fact, what Eastman was advising yeah, yeah. Trump to do. Yeah. So. Which is pretty hideous. But, um, again, some, as in my read of this, some scholars and some, some analysts are saying that's a long shot. And a lot of it depends on who. Well, we uh, know Alito, Alito, Gorsuch, Roberts, most likely. Um, Thomas, of course, sure. is going to go with this. Roberts may feel it's a little too far, although he's okay, spent maybe. an entire career trying to make, telling everybody... That there's no prejudice in the South, therefore we don't need to watch well, the pretty, voting in the South. Pretty but. likely that Amy Coney Barrett. We don't going. know that actually. We she no one really, really knows what she and nor Kavanaugh. Okay, that's interesting because I would assume they'd go along with what uh, uh, Trump would want. <laughs> well, and he clearly would want this to happen. You in know, his the, favor. the 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 ironic thing is that in this case. They, of course, plucked this case off the docket because this, what happened in North Carolina was the North Carolina Supreme Court said, you got to redraw the maps. And they kept telling them you have to redraw the maps yeah. because this is clearly racial gerrymandering, yeah. you know, which is what it says in their own constitution in the state of North Carolina. So, but, you know, um, for instance, in the, the Milliken uh, case, the Merrill versus Milliken, which is about the Voting Rights Act in Alabama, where they're, you know, basically 27% of the population of Alabama is is African-American, and um, there's uh, seven congressional districts, and there's only, if they vote along the traditional lines, there's only one district of the seven 
that the African-Americans would have the opportunity to elect somebody of their choice. Mm, And so in that one, actually, that was brought to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and a three-judge panel said, yeah, this clearly violates the Section 2 of the um, Voting Rights Act, and two of the three of them were Trump appointees. I want to make sure we leave enough time to talk about the Alabama case, too, because that's an important one as well. Well, the Alabama case will become moot if Moore versus Harper gets decided state legislatures can just do what they want. But yes, so that, that's a case basically about, just what I said, that there's, right. that proportionality doesn't mean proportionality of outcome. In other words, if 27% of the population in Alabama is African-American, it doesn't mean that two of the seven, uh, or you know three of the seven uh, people elected to the House of Representatives have to be African-Americans. It just, it, the way the law is written is, you have to have the opportunity by not being either cracked into one district or diluted into six, um, to be able to vote for somebody who uh, would tend to be um, democratic, leaning, you know, democratic centrist, whatever. Yeah. But um, and so both of these cases are going to be heard this week, likely. Well, no, Merrill was already heard, and and basically the state we, of Alabama. We, we don't know already, the ruling yet. Right. No, yeah. we, we won't know the ruling both until next year. State of Alabama argued, among other things, that it's discriminatory to white people that um, if you discriminate by, and this is going to be the argument in the affirmative action case, which is that discriminating to favor African Americans or other people of color. Is discriminatory against white people. Therefore, you just it's it's just reverse discrimination. Um, and their other argument is <laughs> that um, well, these were the districts that were there before, so they were, you know, and what was the problem? <laughs> <laughs> right. But basically, they made the argument that's discriminatory to white people. Okay. <laughs> because we're so oppressed. Right. Anyway. Hey, um, uh, Charles, we've got to take a short break here, folks. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to discuss um, the ballot initiative in Iowa that would add gun rights language to the state's constitution. Uh, Iowa is the only state this cycle with such an initiative. But there's also a ballot uh, proposal in Oregon that would basically take the gun laws in that state in the opposite direction. We'll be back in a minute for that conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon 
remember, folks, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to Vibes Kitchen and Bar, serving creative interpretations of American classic food and drink. Vibes has a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere and an awesome outdoor patio. It's the perfect place for parties or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more on Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. All right, so Charles Goldman with me today, and we are moving on to talk about guns, uh, specifically a ballot, well, two ballot initiatives. We're going to focus mostly on Iowa because we know that one better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that one's going to go. And nobody's talking about it, but there's... Um, Zero. I mean, I've heard yeah. nothing about it. Yeah, before this. we talk, let's just get, let's just talk about Oregon. Get that out of the way. Okay. okay so in Oregon, um, there's an initiative that would um, require permits issued by police officers, local law enforcement, um, permits to buy a firearm. They, re- they would require a uh, photo ID, uh, fingerprints, safety training, a criminal background check, and a fee payment. It would also the the initiative would also prohibit manufacturing, importing, purchasing, selling, possessing, using, or transferring ammunition magazines capable of holding more than ten rounds. And it would also make these violations a class A misdemeanor. So um, yeah, that's a that's pretty significantly moving in the other direction than Iowa Iowa wants to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Iowa legislature over the course of the last uh, six years has finally brought to fruition a ballot proposal that the entire state gets to vote on. And this would um, this would add to the to the Iowa state constitution the right to own and bear firearms uh, would and require that any 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 legal uh, analysis of any law at all, would um, be have the strictest secure uh, the strictest scrutiny standards available. Right. So, so you would have to prove an yeah. absolutely compelling state interest in enacting any kind of restriction on what the amendment proposal describes as an, a fundamental individual right. That actually goes beyond even what the U.S. Supreme Court has called it. Okay. So why is this? Um, again, forty-four states already have some type of. Uh, gun language in their state constitution. Mm-hmm. The only states that don't are California, Iowa, Minnesota, New York, New Jersey, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Even bastions of liberalism like Massachusetts have have gun language in their state constitution. So why is this something to be all worked up about? Well, I don't know it's something to be all worked up about because, you know, in many ways, the most recent decision in, in the New York case makes a lot of gun regulation moot. Obviously, it's going to be a question as to how is that going to interface with the recent federal legislation that was passed. Um, I, I think it's it's just reflective of... I, I, I have no understanding how this became the most important of the amendments to the Constitution. You mean there there are democracies all over the world in which gun ownership is heavily limited. Right. So the idea that we blasted our way to freedom, you know, um, I guess 
maybe that's what the Revolutionary War looks like, but I don't know about the Civil War looking that way. <laughs> you know, since there was you know hundreds of thousands killed on both sides of that yeah. conflict, both sides Americans. Um, no, I mean, it's just, I guess my question would be, why don't we ever hold to strict scrutiny the laws that want to make gun ownership that much more uh, pervasive? Like, or, well, yeah. Well, because this is, this is my question. Okay. Okay. And, and it, it, you know, in fact, all right, you want to talk about the facts of gun ownership? The facts of gun ownership are that when it's this pervasive, you know who's most likely to die from a gun being in your house? Yourself. Either from someone else in the house is who that, uses it on you, or the suicide. And how how is that younger how is that man documented? Your, since we're not, I mean, there there has been federal legislation that prevents uh, significant um, re, uh, recording of uh, of information about gun deaths. No, it prevented sort of uh, you know comprehensive sociological research. Okay, that well, okay. it doesn't prevent the collecting of statistics and, and that, that are then aggregated in a, in a very all you right, know. So, that's that's statistical enough where we we know these things. We we know that we can we know factually. We know that at least half the gun deaths in the United States are suicides. Okay. So you know, I, I guess that I, I love the strict scrutiny only works one way, right? <laughs> because it's going to be very difficult to make the case that any gun restriction at this point, any gun regulation at this point, is going to make that much of a difference in terms of guns being used in crimes or gun or mass shootings or guns being, you know, just where it doesn't involve, you know, someone you know. And because there's so many of the gun, there's so many weapons out there that people aren't giving them back. You Mm -hmm. know, I think you can work at the fringes arguing against AR-15 type weapons, but you know, high capacity magazines, but without some sort of reduction in the number of guns out in our society, I don't see that yeah. that you could argue that anything would meet strict scrutiny if it's going to restrict gun ownership. It's, I'm not saying we shouldn't be registering and we shouldn't be able to limit people with violent felonies from having you know guns or mentally unstable people or people who well, but I don't want to get into the mentally unstable thing because well. let's that's that's a real canard from well, from it, the right which is this is all about mental illness yeah every, well, every time it, somebody shoots somebody no. shoots, you know shoots 20 70 I don't know how many people were shot by the the guy up at the in the hotel in Vegas it was over 60 yeah but. yeah and so mentally ill I mean if you if, if you're sitting in the hotel and just firing at people on the street yeah, you're mentally ill, okay? But that's not. But, yeah, and you don't. That's you, not you, the but issue. You don't, yeah, you don't always know that ahead of time. But certainly, there are plenty of cases of of, uh, of school shootings and other gun massacres that we know this person was not stable. This person never should have had a gun. So yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't care that that argument and be we, made you know, by we, the right. It's still a good argument. And you can go to the NRA's own site because they publish a lot of research. There. No, seriously. Yeah. I mean, what research research, they like? No, no, not necessarily. Really? I mean, because they see it a different way than you or I might see it. But I mean, you know, if you go to their website, you can see that there's a very direct relationship between age and gender as to who's dangerous with a gun. Mm-hmm. And sure. their own research that they're quoting shows that people, you know, men under the age of 25 are dangerous. With a gun or a car. Or a car, absolutely. It's no different. <laughs> and that, so this argument, you know, there was this case out in California where they, you know, the, the, 
the gun lobby was celebrating that they found the judge who would say that, um, you know, they, the state of California couldn't set 21 as the age for owning, a, a, you know, a handgun or an assault rifle or anything else because they needed it to protect themselves. Mm. They needed it for self-defense. I mean, so, it, it, you know, that's, that research is out there. But uh, I, don't, I don't think this ballot measure makes much difference. I, I, as I said, I admire at least it's democracy. You know what I'd like to see as a ballot amendment or, you know, uh, on, on the back of the ballot that's going to be on the uh, sure. printed ballots? What? Uh, let, let, let the population of Iowa vote on abortion. You know, let I I would but challenge no, it, it, the Republicans. Yeah. You know, you all, you all hate the guts. You, yeah. you you all hate the courts, right? You never want the courts, the unelected courts, legislating. Of course, justices in Iowa are actually elected, as were justices in North Carolina on their Supreme Court. But you know, um, well, kind of elected. Well, they're but they're, they're, they're appointed by the governor. Well, they're they're but they they're, they're recommended by a special judicial nominating committee. Right, three are recommended. Then the governor gets to choose one of those three. And then their 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 uh, their status as a judge is voted. Well, is a retention vote every four that's years. That's correct. Well, that's that is a form of election because you a can form be. Of election, yeah. But they don't have an opponent. It's just yes or no. Do you support retaining this right. particular justice? But the thing is that, um, yeah, I, I would say, if you really want, you know, you, we don't need the state legislatures to tell us abortion law. At the state level, especially a state of the size of ours, put it on the ballot. Yeah. And if that's what the people want, that's what the people want. And then well, again, it, would, the, it would shut everybody up on both sides. With Iowa's ballot initiative process, that will never happen. I mean, you need. Well, it'll never need, happen because they don't want to because well, they're no, afraid they, they, they would don't, lose. They don't want to. Well, you probably, yeah, I know. But, uh, but yeah, you need to pass it in one, in, in, in a two year cycle, then again in another two year cycle. Right. Well, so they started that process, but now well, they're they going to let the courts take care of it. Right, exactly, because, yeah. uh, because of what happened federally. But, um, right. But so, you know, I'm thinking about. The prospects of this passing. I mean, Iowa It'll voters. Pass. Well, I don't know. Iowa voters have in the past shot down Republican-led ballot initiatives. Uh, there was one on putting language in the Constitution about taxes, and uh, Republicans were certain that voters would support uh, language that would limit taxes. Voters rejected it. Mm. So that was Iowa, Iowa voters. Uh, you know, back then, purple state Iowa voters. Right. So do we expect that? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I look at Montana in 2020. Similar language about guns added to the, not to the, not to the uh, state constitution, but to the code. That only narrowly passed 51 to 49%. Mm. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know. What, I really don't know whether it's going to pass here in Iowa. Um, you know, it's, it's warm and fuzzy enough language. It's simple enough. And, you know, you can look at the fact that, again, 44 other states already have something like this in their constitutions. That may indicate that, yeah, this is probably going to pass. But again, Montana, 51 to 49 percent, that was pretty close. Well, you know, sometimes you will, you will be surprised. I mean, you know, South Dakota, for instance, twice rejected um, ballot initiatives uh, that would have banned abortion, you know, or done the six-week thing. Right. You know? In spite of having elected Christy Nome and and all these other things that you know come out of places like South Dakota, that lost twice. They didn't, you know, they're not going for it a third time. They're just going to have they the <laughs> gerrymandered South Dakota legislature take care of it. I mean, that's right. well, I mean that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is this is the point. You know, a, a a direct democracy is very cumbersome, 
But what we have now is, is not democracy. It's not. It's not even no. close, and it's not even representative anymore. I mean, no. what we have is akin to what you you have in in Russia, which is that the same people get reelected over and over, and the you don't really run for you don't campaign anymore. You pick your voters by getting your district right. set up. With, I mean, you know, and so that people you can't that. lose. People do that here too. I'm moving. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. I'm, again, Iowa is a state where we don't have gerrymandering. That's correct. Uh, except uh, in a couple counties at the county level, but that's another story. And actually, that's changing too. But um, well, you would despite have, that, we still have an overwhelmingly major, overwhelmingly Republican legislature. Hmm. And that, you know, Charles, that says volumes about the Democratic Party. I mean, not just nationally, but here in Iowa, the Democratic Party has become ineffective, absolutely ineffective, at reaching uh, enough voters to make a difference. And I, mean, I don't, I don't expect that to change this year. I, I don't. I don't. Ex- I you know. I would not be. Well, we can get into that in another conversation. I suppose. Well, I think but. the Democrats have have hitched their wagon way too firmly to the abortion issue. As somehow it's going to make everybody change their minds. Mm. I mean, they're being told over and over again that um, people are concerned about the economy and inflation, and most mm. of that is not actual. It doesn't necessarily correspond to the duress that we've seen at other times mm-hmm. in this country in terms of where the economy was. But it's that the most visible sign to people that things are going the wrong way is when prices are going the wrong way at the pump. Yeah. And they don't understand that the president doesn't determine the prices, that this is a global commodity, <laughs> that if they can get if the oil company can get a higher price by selling it somewhere right. else. So this notion of energy independence, the only way you can get energy independence is if you pass a law that says that these net, you know, these global companies can't take oil out of the United States and sell it outside the United States. They're never gonna go for that. Yeah. They haven't I mean they've paid good money not to have that happen. <laughs> so, you know Well so your prediction on the Iowa initiative is that it passes. I think it will because the other thing is a lot of people who would, uh, you know, are Democratic leaning vote absentee, yeah. and it's on the back of the ballot. I'm not sure yeah. everyone even knows it's there. Yeah, I, I, I actually do agree with you. I don't. I think I think with a concerted effort to oppose it, it might have failed, but I don't see mm-hmm. that happening. No, there hasn't been. In Oregon, I think the Oregon initiative is going to pass, and again, that takes the uh, takes gun laws in the opposite. Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to bring back the butterfly ballot from. Uh, Florida in 2000. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to make sure it passes. <laughs> Folks, uh, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman here. When we come back from a short break, we're going to switch gears and talk about how another life form in our solar system misbehaved badly and caused Mars to become unsuitable for life, including its own. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can also become a sponsor of this program. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, Charles, we got to talk about how the discovery of climate change-induced extinction on Mars might affect our buddies Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's <laughs> plans to move to the red planet. But first, uh, a couple other important climate headlines this week. Um, there's a poll out, and this poll caught my attention. Maybe you saw it as well. I will read a, a line from the Washington Post. With less than a month until Election Day, Roughly half of registered voters say climate change is either, quote, very important or, quote, one of the most important issues in their vote for Congress. Democrats say that by a vote by a percentage of 79 percent. No party folks are 46 percent and Republicans are a not surprising 27 percent. So what do you think? Uh, will candidates start talking more about climate change? Um, no. <laughs> 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 why, the, why the pause? <laughs> because all, all of these polls that try to, you know, give you a list and people check off, well, this is, you know, they'll say, like, you know, mark all, all of the below, you know. And um, people shown that, yes, they care about climate change, but no, they don't really want to pay for it. And they really don't want to change what they do. And that's been shown repetitively. You know, and, you know, we try to bring it into kind of some fruition with, well, look what happened in Florida, you know. Um, with Hurricane With Ian. the Hurricane Ian, yeah. right. Um, you know, the torrential rains that you saw, you know, in, in Kentucky. Um, and all these things. But when you ask people how much, would you be willing to pay more to mitigate emissions from you know the coal-fired plants in your in in your community, they don't want to pay well, more yeah, than a couple uh, like five dollars a month. I to largely do it. blame the mainstream media for ignoring climate, but you know no, they, people, they can spend all I, I, all I kinds disagree of with that. People are very aware. Even even you know there was this very interesting article I read a couple months ago about you know sort of Christian evangelicals, uh, kind of your usual you know sort of young Republican you know future Federalist Society types. And they they were very um, savvy about climate change. Yeah. And some of them were concerned with, you know, how, you know, it's kind of akin to the Herschel Walker thing. Yeah. You know, how important, is it important enough to me that I would not vote for somebody if it meant that the courts were going to be, you know, you know, the courts would be manipulated so that the things that other things I think are important, you so, know, bring back free enterprise and whatever right. else they think they're well, doing. Well, you know, to, to, to the question of will candidates start talking more about climate no. change now that they see that a poll 
gives this high percentage of people who care about it. I, no. I agree. No. And, and the main reason is also in this poll because, quote, overall climate change ranked below the six other issues tested in the poll, right. including the economy, abortion, crime, and immigration. So even though climate change is important, it's last. And again, I, because I blame the media. The mainstream media is negligent on this. You know, there are a few exceptions out there. The Guardian is one of them, but they, they, they don't talk about this. Even with Hurricane Ian, how many stories actually talked about the, the fact that Hurricane Ian would not have happened if it wasn't for climate change supercharging th that, that system? I, I disagree. I heard that yeah. plenty. I, I, don't well, think, I don't think that... I think I, I really I don't know I I, really I can't watch Fox News all day and I can't read the Epic Times every day <laughs> but you know um, I, I I do think you're blaming the media for something that is just a failing of humans in general. Yeah, I disagree. This is in the future. Right. They see it, but for most people, it's not affecting them directly. They okay. don't understand, you know, how much we're standing on the shoulders of other people who are actually experiencing even worse climate change well, calamities Pakistan, than we are. Sure. Right. So I, I want to talk about Mars. And, and not, not just talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking about droughts all over the sure. world. Oh, Somalia, yeah, places like that, Syria. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people don't understand that this is the thing that may make our world way more unstable than some of the other stuff that sure. we're so worried about. And, and, all right, and, and, I, and I want to talk about Mars. But first, okay. one more story, one more headline. Uh, there were two Extinction Rebellion activists uh, who uh, in Australia... They glued themselves to the glass covering over Picasso's massacre in Korea uh, while they were standing alongside a banner reading climate chaos equals war and famine. So my question for you, Charles, is that an effective action? Does it have no impact? Or does it actually move us backwards by alienating the artsy types and the rich climate action donors? Or does it not even matter what the artsy types and rich donors think? What did they glue themselves with? Used, used to glue themselves to the glass. I, I don't. I'm not that up to speed on various types of glue. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I mean, it, how many people like performance art? Um, a lot of us. I would say you're in a minority. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. I may not be a rich climate action donor, but maybe I'm a bit of an artsy type. Maybe. Okay. So you're saying, well, what we go, but it gets people's attention. It gets people's attention. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it matters. I mean, I so what you know. I mean, it. it okay, so it, it, the, it, it talks to the people who would who would think about it. You know. So the extinction, <laughs> uh, the, the the threat of extinction is is hanging over our heads. Is it not justifiable to take dramatic actions that try to motivate people to give a dang? Yeah, I mean, as long as they, they didn't harm the painting, you know, I mean, they can always replace the glass over it. I don't think you should be destroying works of art to to make your point. And they don't either. No, they didn't. Right. They didn't. So, yeah. So now, speaking of the mainstream media, I was fascinated to see that this is the Where scene. did you find this story? Oh, I find things everywhere, Charles. <laughs> I'm not going to give you away, give away my secrets. <laughs> no, I don't know. Where, I can't remember where I found it. So uh, there was a, but the, it was a CNN story. And interestingly, uh, the, the last paragraph. I can't listen to CNN anymore. Okay. Yeah, I know. You're, ho you're focused on Fox and the Epic News. But, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but this. this, uh, this Epic uh, Times. Epic Times. Sorry. This uh, quote is in the story. Quote, climate change is on course to transform life on Earth as we know it, and unless global warming is dramatically slowed, billions of people and other species will reach points where they can no longer adapt to the new normal, according to a major UN-backed report mm -hmm. released this year. That's in the CNN story about Extinction Rebellion mm -hmm. activists gluing themselves to a painting. Right, so... So that, that I mean, Making your... Really, you know... Well, contradicting my earlier point... Yeah, contradicting your earlier point. the fact that... 
that that was the last paragraph. And why isn't every story containing a paragraph like that, especially when you got something like Hurricane Ian? Anyway, they should I, start the story by saying, "We're going to harangue you first. Yeah, good. Before we I give agree. you the story, we're going to harangue you first. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, Charles, misery loves company, right? Uh, and it's, it's going. It, this is going to come as a relief to you that humans are not the only species in the solar system capable. Of destroying their home planet. <laughs> um, but uh, first, to uh, set the mood, um, this important ad uh, brought to you by the uh, South Dakota Tourism Association. Mars. The air, not breathable. The surface, cold and barren. But thousands are lining up for a chance to go and never come back. South Dakota, progressive, productive, and abundant in oxygen. Why die on Mars when you can live in South Dakota? South Dakota, you can live here. That's that, a great that, that is one of the best commercial ads ever. <laughs> and that's from 2015. Wow. Before these, uh, these billionaires started trying to, fly, trying to fly themselves there. Apparently, there's research out just this week mm -hmm. uh, that shows that a... a there was these ancient microbes that somehow triggered. They used to live on. There was life on Mars. Ancient microbes. I, I didn't realize that um, that the uh, temperature on Mars, like three to four million, a billion years ago, was between fourteen degrees and sixty-eight degrees. Mm -hmm. But apparently, these microbes somehow triggered climate it's change. It's been a long time since it's been that way on Mars. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but still. Uh, but but these microbes lived there at one time, triggered climate change, and it killed themselves. So they, yeah. they no longer exist because they caused climate change to happen. Um, I think that's fascinating. We aren't the only species that are capable of destroying uh, our home planet, apparently. But um, my biggest concern, because, because I'm a bleeding-heart liberal, is what does this mean for Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos? I mean, these guys, these guys are ready to go there. They're, well, I, know, I, know, I, think, I think one of them, which is Bezos, is more focused on the moon. And I think yeah. Musk wants to go all the way to Mars. The more ambitious billionaire. But, um, he wants to drive a Tesla on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to build this huge um, like dome of some kind. Well, I mean, you know, the, the work being done to try to make it a viable option, it's a, it's a one-way trip. I mean, the first, the first groups of people going up there, they're not coming back. Right. Um, well, yeah, and South Dakota <laughs> makes that clear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, no, but well, what's fascinating about the universe is the capabilities of microbes. I mean, you know, that they, they try to sterilize. To, to survive and to, to survive. destroy themselves. Well, but no, I mean, you know, they had microbes surviving on the windows of the space shuttle. I mean, getting hit by cosmic radiation, and they brought them back, you know, to Earth. Hitchhiking microbes. They, they, and yeah. they, they, you know, made it back through the reentry, and these things still grew. I yeah. mean, and, you know, they go out to these planets. See, the other thing is, you know, we're we're locked into an organic chemistry that's based on carbon. Sure. But there's there's other, you know, polyvalent molecules you could use. And the rest of the universe does use to support life. Sure. And microbes are alive. Yeah. Yeah. Not every place that supports life is a good place for humans to be. Well, that's correct. I would say actually that there's probably no place that's good for humans to be other than Earth. And, it it know, seems fairly likely in, in yeah. spite of Star Trek and all the other star well, science yeah, fiction that I mean, did, did, I was reading. although they always find they always find an Earth-like planet out there, and 
the numbers say there probably are Earth-like planets. Yeah, out there. sure, um, sure. Well, the, the rich guy in Don't Look Up found one and took him twenty-seven thousand years to get there. <laughs> their clothes had all rotted off their bodies, so they emerged from the spaceship naked. Only to be eaten by Brontorox. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that movie. Oh, God, I saw it twice. It was so good. you got to yeah. watch it. It's better than Mars Attacks. Speaking of Mars Attacks, <laughs> this, no. this, may be, this may be what, uh, what Bezos and, uh, and, uh, and Musk are, are going to be in store for if they do, in fact, um, get to Mars and find out that, yes, there is, in fact, some life there. Are they bringing pornography with them? Because that was one of the best scenes in Mars Attacks. We come in peace. We come in peace. We come in peace. We come in peace. They came in peace. peace. There goes the dove. Oh, this is when they vaporize them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, left out the best scene when the the, um, the commander on the on the Mars ship is reading the Playboy. Oh, <laughs> in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great scenes in the movie. No, I mean Mars Attacks, obviously a silly movie. That's a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary. <laughs> the documentary would be about these microbes and how they made themselves go extinct. But you know, I gotta say, I I, th- I I'm, I'm so disgusted with the billionaires of the world who. Think that uh, that somehow uh, we can just you know concede that okay we destroyed Earth and we're just going to go somewhere else now. I mean I just it, it is so offensive to me. I don't know why more I, people I are pushing what, against it. I don't think that's what's driving them. I think that it, it's an adventure. It's exploration. Yeah. It's it's going to prove a lot of concept just the way the space program did back yeah. in the 60s. Well, be that as it may, I want to thank our production team. Uh, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles here, myself, and Kathy Burns. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Vibes Kitchen and Bar, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.